Just before we get into it, the Football Index podcast is supported by footballindextrader.co.uk, the best site for in-depth player scouting and trading strategy. Go to the site now to check out the staggering results from the first half of the season. The consistent accuracy over a long period of time is impressive and he puts in a lot of hard work each and every week to produce really high quality content. As an exclusive offer for podcast listeners, you can give the site a try with a 25% discount on your first month with the code FIG25. So that's fig25. And I've also got a video on YouTube which reviews the site, uh, which you should check out as well. Uh, so just head over to footballindextrader.co.uk and the code is fig25. Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast, episode 116, the first episode of 2020. I'm hoping everyone had a great Christmas and a wonderful new year. I saw a tweet today saying that 2050 is as close to 1990 now, which is a scary thought. I was like, oh, that is actually mathematically correct. Speaking of maths, the two guys that I've got on are probably two of the hottest FI content creators, data guys out there on Twitter at the moment. Both debutants, both joined in 2019 or in the last several months. First up, PB Hunter. How are you doing, mate? Good evening. I'm all right, mate. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. You're a United fan, right? So... Me and yeah. Ben are feeling quite smug today. Very. To be fair, you were decent last night. We were awful, absolutely awful. But you did have a good game, to be fair. I think Arteta's, you're playing with more purpose than you were, put it that way. <laughs> He's got something about him, something about him. But Ben, you must have enjoyed that last night. How are you doing? FI Ben. Yeah, not bad at all. Good to see Pepe get a goal. Yes, it was. Hopefully that's the first of many. Hopefully. I mean, you guys aren't here to talk about Arsenal United. This isn't some sort of weird AFTV yeah. <laughs> review or anything like that. PB Hunter, why don't you tell us a bit about your Football Index journey and then when you started doing all these great spreadsheets and a bit about what you're doing. So I started about 18 months ago, probably like most people just chucking little bits of money into it. I didn't take it too seriously. My background is in modelling. I'm from Betfair background, so I've got a background in odds compiling and data. And it was about the time of the share split. Was that about February? Is that right? Last February? Mm, yeah, something like that. That's when I started to take it much more seriously and started messing about in Excel. And, you know, I, I had a good, you know, I've got a good background in, in what I was doing. I knew the data was important, but it's only been since, probably just after the share split, that I've been taking it much more seriously and chucking, you know, more money into it. Awesome. I figured from when I saw your kind of data sheets and everything that you're posting on Twitter that you joined quite recently. When did that all start? I had my a personal Twitter account that I used to use, but then I only really got the FI Twitter account a couple of months ago, I think. I've been doing the data for about six months, but it's been an evolving process in terms of, A, learning the, the platform, because we're, you know, we're all still learning, and working out how best to, A, present the data and get it all together. The model's probably needlessly complicated. I mean, I'm adding stuff up in ZX 746 in Excel and <laughs> it gets messy. I've actually just recently just started to sort of get everything a bit more organized in Excel. Yeah, I've been doing that about six months. It's only recently I thought I was confident enough to, to sort of share it with, uh, with the rest of the community, really. Awesome. That's really cool, man. Your sheets have gone down a treat and uh, serve yours, Ben. Why don't you tell us a bit about your Football Index journey and kind of how the, the data stuff started for you? Yeah, so I started about six months ago. I think it was just before August, about July time. First two or three months sort of went in quite slowly, took my time. And then I started realizing that in order to, to get the best players, it was really about research and the amount of time and data you got. And I've always had a background of investing and things like that. 
So effectively, just started doing data for myself and slowly started putting on Twitter as well after I'd had a look at it. And the community was really helpful, to be honest. It's just grown from there. Awesome. We've got loads of questions today. Loads. So I think I'll probably just get straight into them. Miscellaneous ones first. Oh, actually, this one's for me. Uh, FI Momentum. <laughs> Maybe it's not just for me. It's probably for you guys as well. How regularly do you think Adam Cole listens to the Fidcast? And do you think he should, on a weekly basis, to get an idea of thoughts or questions from Football Index from a part of the FI community? An interesting one. I'd like to think he does. I think you could argue it's like with the, the Q&A that he did the other week. I think that was really, really useful. It was really good. You probably know more than I do. Fig. I would have thought some members of the team listened to it. It would make sense. Think that about things like Slack as well. They surely must have a, not an insider, but you know, that type of thing, listening to the community. It'd be silly not to. I mean, you need to get to know your customers, really. Yeah. As you scale a startup, it's obviously super hard to keep that kind of touch point with your customers. And obviously, you know, my podcast isn't a reflection on every customer's thoughts. I mean, I remember meeting Kieran for the first time ever and he was like, I, I listened to your show, which was funny. The guy who does the, the product and he's COO basically as well. It would make sense. It's such a unique not product community, such a unique thing that mm. they need to get the inside track, if you like. They need that to grow the, like, to grow the product and to understand its customer base. I mean, I'm hoping uh, Adam listens. If you are, Adam, <laughs> cheers. Good evening, I appreciate Adam. it. Good evening. <laughs> Wouldn't mind that Audi if you don't mind, Adam. Yeah, please, please. Has that been done? Is that today the draw? It's Has it been done? supposed to be today, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I hope we get interrupted by a call. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. <laughs> bring, bing, bring, 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 bring. Live winner. <laughs> uh, I'm sure someone would be brewing up conspiracy theories faster than you can say oh, yeah. conspiracy. Oh, don't start with that. Oh, right. We've got another question here from Aaron Patlis. Hi, guys. Do you both have any FI-related goals or milestones set for 2020? And if either of you have won the recent dinner date with Adam Cole, what questions would you have put forward to him? So let's go for the last one first. And he does say, and thank you for the great content you publish on Twitter. So Ben, why don't you tell me, what would you ask? What would you be talking to about with Adam Cole if you got that dinner date? Yeah, cheers for the feedback first, Aaron. I don't know, I guess it'd be, it'd have to be a fire related minute. I'd probably ask him, my main concerns, to be honest, are, are the territory expansion and the, the plans for, for media, for MB. I'd quite like to know where that's going. As I think it would affect my trading. I don't know. What do you guys think? Definitely, the MB thing. It's it can be so. It's frustrating because it can be such a huge part of the product, but it's just mm. not done well. The, a lot of the conversations that I've been having with with traders and and mates is that MB. It's just so obvious to see how much potential there is. It's like when there was an yeah, MB. A lot of traders were like, "Well, why aren't they doing this with actual performances?" And then. They've kind of worked a lot on the PB side, which makes sense because I think that's what's attracted most traders. But MB still has a lot of potential. And I think you're right there, Ben. I think there's been a lot of speculation about what they could do with the kind of MB side of things combined with expansion of territories. I think I read somewhere, I think I may have on Twitter yesterday, where they would, I think, I can't remember it was, about incorporating some sort of the social media aspect of things. And obviously that is very open to manipulation, but... I think that needs to be looked at as well. But also because, obviously at the moment, it's essentially English teams and English players who win MB, bar a few of the likes of Pogba, but obviously he's playing in an English team as well. Just if they open territories and they open MB to those countries, what the likes of Mbappe and those kind of boys are going to start getting in terms of MB? It's going to be massively different. It'd be interesting 
how they did it. Instead of say for Germany, would they just have a, a, almost a separate German platform where it was just German media? And they all just won separate divs, but that seems like that would be very messy. I think that's too complicated. I do, yeah. Or do they just add German sources? But my concern would be translation issues. That, that could, that could all, I don't know how they can do it. I think first and foremost, I would work back from what are the main issues with MB, right? First of all, the main issue is the FI have not designed their own kind of matrix for MB. I would say that is the overwhelmingly like main issue. So... That's first step, right? You know, stop the United bias, stop Danny Rose getting double points just because his second name's Rose. Like Victor stupid Lindelof. things like that. Lindelof, Victor Lindelof, just because his name is Victor. And then I think they move on from there because, look, there are loads of big steps that FI could take with MB, but take the easiest to solve one first that would have like a reasonably big impact. And then I think you look at kind of, I think there's a couple of things that you could do. You could have like a global payout or you could basically have like what they do for PB, where you have a winner from each country and then like a star overall winner, if that makes mm. sense. So you could yeah, do something like that. Yeah, that does make sense. It's just about getting the media sources, I think, would be key. Obviously, if people are getting it, I'm Germany, because that seems to be the one that was mentioned, they're not going to be interested in reading the Daily Star in Germany, you know. <laughs> it's difficult. Yeah, it is tough. It is tough. We've strayed from the question at hand, because PB Hunter, you've almost gotten away with not answering this one. If either of you have won the recent dinner date with Adam Carl, what questions would you have put forward? I think mine would be matrix-based. In terms of the, the data, it's so solely reliant on the matrix. One question would be how much back testing was done on the A, the first matrix and the second matrix to look at who would win and what would win, what sort of performances would win, what outside agencies did they speak to about it? I think that type of thing, you know, it's the, the part of the product. Yeah. Why are crossing points been much more rewarding now than they were before? What made them choose that? I kind of really sympathise with you there, actually, because when that happened, the table was flipped so massively that we kind of didn't question it. Whereas if FI came out and kind of explained each decision, it would have been quite nice of them. Obviously, people, I think, general consensus is that this matrix is better, but it would have been good of them maybe to come out and explain why have we just added this many points for crosses why have we reduced game winning goal and increased goal points etc it feels random one very specific question i'd ask him just because i feel it would give a good insight why is a win 18 points and not 20 why is it such a specific number i know that seems random but i honestly think that would give some insight i think the thing that you talked about there in terms of modeling the matrix Maybe that it was 20 at one point and then they've done a lot of modelling and they've realised, well, it's too weighted exactly. in favour of teams that are winning. And then they've reduced it by a couple of points, done a, a lot more simulations and, and gotten kind of more of a, a nice balance that they wanted. I'd I like to think so. that that how thorough it was. I would, I would. What about FI-related goals or milestones set for 2020? Ben, have you got any? I'm not sure to be honest. I reckon I'd like to be at a point where I'm trading risk-free. Okay. At the moment, I've, I've got a decent profit, but I'd like to get to the point where I've got enough profit so I can take out what I originally invested and just be completely trading risk-free. I think that'd be my goal by 2021. I think that's the dream, isn't it, for all of us, is to, is oh, yeah. to be trading risk-free. I mean, I'm still quite happy putting money in because I know the product's growing. Yeah, to trade risk-free would be brilliant. I mean, you just see all the tweets and it makes you a bit jealous. What about you, PB Hunter, some of your goals? Yeah, I mean, again, just to keep growing. Obviously, I've got a lot of faith in, in my model and the data, but just for it to... One thing that we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about more is sample size, and that is just to 
keep pushing forward throughout the season, really. It's more about the method than the result of the minute for me. But yeah, just to keep pushing forward, no more Depay-type injuries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's just going to be part and parcel of the game. You've got to take the rough with the smooth. Football's never going to stop having ACLs, is it? No. There's been a lot recently. Seems yeah. like there's been a lot. So Wesley, Callum yeah. Chambers. I wonder, there's probably a smarter man than I that can talk about kind of after these breaks that there are. And yeah. I know those, those weren't the case with Callum Chambers and Wesley, but I'd be interested to know how many injuries happen to players after breaks in some of these leagues. That would be interesting to. Th- I mean, I'm not saying, oh, look out, there might be loads of injuries yeah. in the Bundesliga, but it'd be, it'd be interesting if someone's got that data. And Dumbledore is killing me at the moment. He just, he can't stop getting injured. Yeah, seems it might be a rift there with, with Mourinho. I said, I mean, obviously I'm an Arsenal fan, so very biased, but I was like, look, give Mourinho till March before he implodes. And it's looking like it's already happening, which is lovely, jubbly. He's, uh, yeah, I, I, some of his, pre- like the presser that he did the other day, which was just like, yeah. oh, and Dombele, he's always injured. It's like, your record signing <laughs> and you're already slagging him off, come on. He is box office, he'd be brilliant for me, doing mean, what did he say about, he said a rude thing, but he said a rude thing to an idiot, that was brilliant. <laughs> very, very funny. Uh, well, he's a He's still box office. I mean, obviously, United funny, I almost give up watching, the football we were playing was so poor. It was awful. It was like middle, you know, medieval football at times. Yeah. I think he's trading off his name still, unfortunately. It said a lot that he took like a, what was it, a year and a half contract at Spurs, wasn't it? Seems mm-hmm. quite desperate. But anyway, away from Mourinho, we keep going on footballing tangents. If you guys are loving the podcast and you're listening on iTunes, please do leave a review. If you guys haven't caught my latest YouTube video, it's about comparative value and kind of dividend ratios. It's a video I've been meaning to make for a while, how to kind of trade based on comparative value and also looking at kind of ratios of dividends or expected dividends earned from from players. Check out the latest Figcast episode as well. It's with Dara, formerly Dougal Maguire, based in Ireland. We talked a lot about kind of what if I could do to expend in Ireland, MB, his kind of analysis of Paul Pogba, whether or not. Sancho or Trent Alexander or Pogba can become the next king of the index. So lots of interesting topics discussed there. But we've got a question here from Luar Luar. What's your betting history and any big data plans for the future? So Hunter, why don't you take this away? So I come from less of a, a Betfair background, which I think has helped me massively. I advise anybody to have a look at some Betfair videos, but we'll talk about it in, I'm sure in more detail when, when the order books come in. But I was quite an early adopter into Betfair, early 2000s. I'm old enough to have been legal to, to bet then <laughs> it was very similar to the indexes now it was almost free money at times when it um, betfair was first introduced and i got into football betting but then from there it went into tennis modeling i was very into betting on tennis or trading tennis where we would exploit the market really where they were presuming one thing so say a, a man would hold 80 percent of the time and a woman 70 percent just random numbers but we, we noticed trends that certain women would not hold their serve as many as the market always thought they would, because it wouldn't be player-specific, if that makes sense. So we was able to exploit the market quite well for a number of years. And then I got into football modelling, odds, you know, goal supremacy, that type of thing, which I think has been quite good transferable skills. I can imagine. I think as well, it, when I came onto the... When I first looked at the... It, it made sense to me. It looked like Betfair with the two prices, and it was intuitive... Although they're obviously very different products, there is some similarities to the two. Mm. It's interesting that you are uh, come from the Betfair side because there's not too many. I think Big Don, Panda, obviously, 
and I yourself. So I think a lot of people talk about kind of high net worth individuals and, you know, I won't get that into that with you if, you if you're not comfortable. But I do think there is a market there for professional gamblers or guys that bet quite a lot to really be reeled into the world of football index, whether it's yeah, match betting or professional gamblers. Yeah, definitely. The money that gets turned over on Betfair is incredible. I think I was talking to, to Ben the other day about, we were just talking about, look at like a cricket match, just an average one-day cricket match. And I think I, I, you know, I tweeted, a, it was like 40 million had been traded in eight hours. You're talking huge amounts of money. It is absurd. I mean, if you look at some of those football games even that are peak high time, like a Champions League final or whatever, you're talking about ridiculous amounts of money, like the small country's GDP turned over easily. There was a good thread on Twitter about, I can't remember it was, but it would posted on a betting forum why people weren't interested in the index. I saw that. That was interesting. It was interesting because it was basically four posts of people saying, we're quite happy to lose money for the thrill. I thought, they're not the target audience. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. I was like, wow. That isn't the target audience, though. I didn't understand it at all. Like, you are, yeah, you're just losing money and you're, you're kind of basically paying for the entertainment, the thrill. And I guess that's fine. If you're losing like maybe 500 quid a year or... Yeah, it depends how much. But, you know, I'm sure some of those people in those forums who were saying that they were losing and they've got enough time or energy to be posting in betting forums <laughs> and they're still losing, they're probably losing quite a fair bit. I'd probably hazard a guess. What about you, Ben? Betting history? Big plans for the future for your data? So I did, I did a lot of match betting for a couple of years. A lot of Betfair as well. That lasted about a couple of years and I got a bit bored of it really. You know, it's a group of my mates who have been on Football Index since pretty much it started, really. They were slowly, slowly convincing me to join. I must say, it's, it's a good decision. It's a lot more exciting, I think, than match betting anyway. Yeah, it definitely is. I found their fire the same way. I mean, match betting, I was on Profit Accumulator, whatever it's called. Yeah. I remember just... <laughs> it just gets boring after yeah. a while. Really time-consuming as well. Yeah, it's very regimented match betting, isn't it? It's not for yeah. it's, you know, it's going through those odds. Comparisons you never get excitement and... because you, you always know how much you're winning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and I think the other thing about it is that bookies are getting smarter about it. Yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. Your yeah. margins were getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed because they were just getting smarter and banning accounts. I think I'm banned with about like four or five different bookies. Oh, yeah, definitely. The, the best one was the... Bet three six five two hundred pound deal. Oh yeah, beautiful. That oh yeah, was, absolutely rinsed that one. <laughs> they used to have a good fifty pound one as well. The, the yeah. fifty pound in play one, where yeah. you could rinse that every few months. But then the problem is after that, I think I'm limited to about twenty six p. I think I can bet on <laughs> fair few uh, uni nights out based on on those bet three six five offers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, we should probably move on because we've got big, big, chunky four three parter here from Fi Sigmund Freund. Amazing guests, so. Can I ask Cheers. three questions, he says. One, how should traders account for age when assessing value? I think Hunter and I both agree. Age is quite an important factor. And I think as much as youth is debated, it always tends to cycle back to it from what I've seen. So it's always important when you're looking at value because potential is just a huge factor driving the price behind all players, both in the real world and in FI, really. If you just look at the value of players like Rayner in the real world, it's huge compared to what it used to be. So it's always something I include in my models. You are correct, actually. If you think about how football has moved, you know, we've gone from paying quite a lot of money for X player. Well, actually, you're, you're going to have to pay £40 million to get Rodrigo and he might be a flop. Or you're going to yeah, have exactly, to pay yeah, £50 million for Vinicius Jr. and he might be a flop. 
as Mane Dembele, 150 million euros, he might be a flop. So, I mean, they paid the same amount of money for Dembele and Coutinho. I don't know what you can read into that, but it's certainly interesting. It's crazy. When they got Neymar from Brazil, it was like 80 million euros. So I think football has moved slightly in that direction where I was talking to the guys that I do the, the State of Play podcast with. We were debating Kulibali. And uh, one of them was like, I really think that City are just going to slap down 80, 90 million for him in January. And I was like, hold on, the bloke's 28, 29. And I know at centre-back, you're going to probably play for a bit longer. And you're probably peaking at that kind of like Van Dijk, 28-year-old age. But if you look at how City have bought in the past like two, three years. Yeah, no chance. The Sterlings, the De Bruynes, the Bernardo Silvers, the Gabriel Jesuses, the, even Ferland Mendy. Carl Walker, Laporte, Edison, these guys are all 25, 26 and below. And I said to him, like, if you think they're going to just suddenly pay more than they've paid for anyone in like the last five years for a centre-half who's 29 or whatever, 28, 29, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. No. The problem with age on FI is you have to pander to the market. You know, a player's only worth what someone is willing to pay, and that's an obvious thing, but age is very subjective. I've spoken to Mr. Freund, who's very articulate on Twitter. He really is very good. He's a smart man. He is. And I've spoken to him on, on a few occasions about age. And actually, when I do my next update of my index R, that is going to be, there's going to be an age incorporated in it now. But it's, it's so difficult. One thing I like to say is that the market always assumes best case scenario. Mm. It's eternally optimistic. With yeah, players. very optimistic. And also, one thing that doesn't get spoken about is resale value. It's great talking about yield. But in three years, if your players dropped 50% just because of age, then the yield calculation has to change. And that's something that isn't, you know, this three-year bet that we all talk about. But then at the end of that three-year bet, you need a resale value. Messi, for instance, if you buy him now, he can't be a three-year bet. Depends how much he yields, right? It is, but then that yield will be nothing compared to what will his resale value be in three years' time. Yeah. I mean, again, it depends how much the market grows. Depends how long you're trading, really. But is he going to be half of what he's priced now in three years' time? Who knows? It is difficult. (laughs) The difficult thing about FI mainly as well is that we don't know what the dividends are going to be worth then, which is another thing that people really, really undervalue. And I think that's part of the reason subconsciously that youth players are probably more. Because like, if you buy... I said to someone the other day, how many Sancho would you buy if you knew that dividends would be increased by 50% three years from now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting kind of thought experiment. And my other question to you boys actually would be, what do you think is priced more wrongly at the moment or what's more inefficient? And I, we were debating this in, in one of a, a group chat that I'm in. It was after the thread, I think, that you guys probably saw on Twitter today about those pricings. It was between Sigmund Freund, I think, Lee, SOTD. I said, OK, what do you think is more inefficient, youth players on FI or players that are 31 and above? It's interesting that I was just looking at this today. So the average PB in the league games is 26.9, the average PB age, sorry. And the mode, so the most common age group winning is about 25. Mm-hmm. So it goes pretty much all the way to 30, 32, I think. So when you're looking at who's winning more PB, it's quite difficult because there's, there's hardly any 32-year-olds and hardly any 18, <laughs> 18-year-olds winning, really. <laughs> it's slap bang in the middle. It's tough. Yeah, that is. I mean, the two 32-year-olds I can, I can think of, I think Paye and Messi, who really do you know, bring in the dividends. 
But that's a difficult question because the youth market again it's big. Lewandowski. Yeah, he's about yeah Lewandowski. I think. He, How old is he? 30, 30 something. Thirty-one, I think. Yeah, thirty-one. I think. I also think as well the prices. I mean, this is you know subjective. I do think they have a dividend increase built into a lot of the prices, which is why we don't see or we haven't this time the big big rises since the dividend increase. I think some prices have a. You know, the market's very immature in terms of it's new. We've not seen player cycles. Everyone's still learning. I do think there's dividend increases priced into some players. Some players for sure, but I think in general throughout the market, it, it probably isn't. I think if you look at what some players would have returned, if you basically ran the calculations of what you know yields players would have had if these dividends were on offer the whole year, then I'm sure you'd get some big numbers compared to the prices, you'd be like, wow, yeah, yeah. those are big returns. For me, if I'm answering my own question in terms of the youth or older players being more inefficient, for me, I think the older player market is less efficient just because the reason being, and you guys are, are data heads, so you can kind of correct me if I'm going wrong, but we have more data about players that are 31 or so mm. than players that are 18. Like realistically, oh, yeah, sure. gun to your head, you can tell me right now if I was like, okay, look, you'd have to bet your house on it that Reina from Brazil that you mentioned earlier is going to be a world beater or he's going to yeah. start for Brazil at a World Cup in the future. I don't, I don't know whatever kind of level of ability as a player that you can say. There is nothing that you could use from a data standpoint to kind of like predict that. It's, it's pretty subjective because the data is so limited. But with players that are like 32, you've got a massive sample size and you've got the kind of probability at which point that they will A, stop playing 90 minutes regularly, B, stop making more than, say, 25, 30 appearances a year in a top five league. And three, the probability of them retiring in the next four to six years. So then you can probably make a good judgment call as to whether or not someone is good value. And I think Sam Friedman, who's, bless him, just made a FI Twitter account for 2020. Don't know what he's got himself into there. But he always talks about kind of like, one of the first things he noticed when he joined the platform was kind of how Suarez didn't really peak that much or go down that much. And one of the reasons was because like everyone knows how good he is. He's not going to get any better from 31 years of age at the time. So you kind of know what you're getting. And so whenever he wins PB or does perform well, it's probably like edging closer to that point where he's going to not fall off a cliff, but start declining. So you have to have like a Lewandowski who has like an out of the blue amazing season, a Quagriella like last season. But for me, I do think there is more inefficiency in, in older players than younger players, just because on the other side of things, with younger players, as I said, if a player is three pounds and they're 18, it's really hard for most FI traders to be like, mm, yeah, I think he's going to be double this price when he's 25. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he comes in with IPOs as well. The, the price at which IPOs are coming in for these 17-year-olds is just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, obviously, F5, they're protecting themselves, but it's, as in, it's just a huge risk. It could pay off, but at the same time, you could get stung. It's that market optimism again. Yeah, it's the optimistic side of things. We'll move on to a second question, though, because I think we could probably talk about that one all day. A debate will rage forever, and if you guys have any comments on that, please do, yeah, tweet us on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Do you ever buy players that your data says is a poor pick, but your eyes and heart say is a good one? Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> uh, you, I thought you, I thought you'd probably say that a bit more begrudgingly. Oh no no! I mean, I try to resist the temptation, but there's always some players you hope either will change things around or just have a lot of other factors driving the price. 
So my score and PB Hunter's score as well, they're pretty much based on performance. But obviously, to do with price, there's a lot of other things. And performance media is, is a huge one. The team they play for, the country they play for at the moment, they're all massive factors that affect price. Someone like Sancho, or my models, doesn't score as well as his price indicates he should do, just in terms of performance. Obviously, he's still got a great performance, but he's, he's what, £7.80 or something like that. But he plays for England. He's 19. He might move to the Prem very soon. All of these are huge, huge factors that make me realise that he's, he is valued. I've got a question for you, actually, before we move on. Could you guys just give us a summary, each of your, your kind of like scoring systems? So my basic falls in with that question. I'm quite, I don't tend to buy players who don't fall into, you know, what I see as performing well. So my sort of breaks down into, I, I start off with, with the base score as the, the base, if you excuse the pun, and mix it with some average. And that, you know, makes up the, the, the base average or base plus, as I like to, to call it. And then there's goals and assists. And then most importantly, peak scores. That makes mm. a, a huge part of the model. Very important. And then Very I also, those three, and then also in what I call uh, implied dividends. Started off from index gain doing implied dividend. No one talks about it. It's a fantastic metric. I've now devised my own. So obviously it gives like a, you know, implied dividends, what dividends their score would have won or you would expect it to win. Almost like an XG, but for dividends, if that makes sense. Expected dividend mm. return, yeah. Yeah, we could call it that. And then what I call my Opta stats, which is basically based on attacking output, key passes, crosses, dribbles and shots, which is really important. So I, I was speaking to PB Man yesterday about Wendia, how we both hadn't purchased him because he hadn't hit AR, he hadn't scored goals and or got that peak score. But he was the, the top, right at the top of my model for those who hadn't had a peak score. Him and Pellegrini from Roma. Mm. Very similar players in terms of that you know they're not the goal threat, but they're very creative, and I think that's a a big part of the model as well is is the stats. Interesting, PB Hunter. I mean Ben. I keep getting you guys confused. Sorry. Yes. So <laughs> no, it's the Ben score. I've tried incorporating the Ben score. Very well, very well named. Very imaginative. I've tried incorporating a performance score along with it now, but essentially it looks at like their performance. That's so their their PB average. To an extent, their PB base, PB max, their peak score. Then again, I incorporate some some factors depending on which position it is. Key factors like key passes, big chances created, things like that. And that provides a performance score. And from that performance score, I then adapt using the price and their age to come out with what produces the Ben score, which is essentially trying to give a ranking or a score for the value of those players in terms of performance only. Going back to the first question, I, I do always look at the score before I buy a player. I wouldn't buy a player who had a, a terrible ranking, but I just think there's other things to look at as well. And that's why I always reiterate that doing your own research is always really important. Well, we'll move on to that question that I just asked, the buying players with your heart and not your, your head, so it may seem. What kind of situations has, has that arised in uh, PB Hunter? As I say, I don't often, in fact, I'm just trying to think of an example when I may have. I mean, I, I don't, it's like betting on your own team, isn't it? It's almost that type of thing. You know, you don't bet on your own team. I mean, I watch a lot of football, but I, I work from the data first. I mean, I'm here for 
because I believe in, in, in the data and, and my you know my model. Just trying to think of a player who I did buy because I like the look of, and I honestly can't think of any. A principled man, unlike <laughs> unlike our yeah, friend Ben. It's like with media. It's like I know people you could look at buying people for media, but I, I mean, I have no interest. I don't look at the media ranking. I have zero interest in the media at the minute. So that doesn't come into it either. Fair play. My score would be the, the first thing I look at when I buy a player. And then I'd go from there. So someone who may score maybe not in the absolute top range, I'd look at and think, are there other factors that may, may increase his price, essentially? Mm. But those who do score high, I'm quite likely to, to get on, obviously. It'd be silly not to. I've just started to work on a youth model, which works slightly different. So I'll take the base score as sort of 75% of the overall score. Then I'll use the optostats. But then I adjust it for players playing in weaker teams. So I think Tonelli in Italy, I can't remember who he plays for. So his base is higher than his average, which is, you know, it's a strange... Because <laughs> they're losing points because they lose... They lose they're not games, win yeah. points. Yeah. So it's... Players like that, basically, who have got potential when they move to a better team. And that's something I quite like to do for young, you know, under 21 type players. And that doesn't include peaks because if they're playing for our worst team, they're not as likely to get the peaks. But if they've got those underlying numbers, when they get, if they get a move to a good club, then... At the same time, it's also interesting looking at their, their importance in a team. So as a sort of counter-argument to, to your point is if a player is playing in a poor team... For example, as a centre mid, they may be hugely important to that team, and that's why they're scoring so highly as a as a PB base. And then if they move to a team like Man City or something, they may become one of the, the less important players and and lose that factor. Definitely, especially with the set pieces. I think we've seen that with uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Kulu Kuluevsky. Yeah, the decrease on him was crazy, but I think he obviously had you know Premier Links priced in. Yeah, I think it just totally depends where players move and there's going to be the kind of people that think he's going to drop selling first and then people that predict people are going to sell but don't actually think he's going to drop selling and then you'll have people buying who are like okay that's a fair price so i mean that's what happens with with the manager changes as well that we've seen recently the likes of Mourinho when he moved to tottenham delhi alley Absolutely shot up. Obviously, he has been performing very well. Eric Dyer as well for some yeah, great. The, they're, they're perfect <laughs> examples of of how a managerial change, even or team change, can make a huge difference to to a player. It's like with with Liverpool. Now, obviously, Liverpool great. You know, sad for me, but doing great. But their PB scores are just not that good. We, I think, we've talked about myself and Ben have talked about it. Yeah, it would always be strange if Klopp left. People think, oh no, but. Some of their players' PB scores could improve. It's a, it's a strange one. Yeah, yeah, obviously there's Trent and some of them destroying it, but the, the forwards especially, they don't score as highly as you'd expect them to. They're not very... I mean, I guess that the one thing you'd say about their forwards is that none of them take penalties or usually set pieces, which is, which is one yeah. thing. And then their wingers kind of play more as inverted forwards, so they probably don't cross that much. But yeah, no, I, I do know what you mean. None of them are trends, basically. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's a very strange, unique style of football, though. You've got like a kind of quarterback, right back that basically does most things for them. So, yeah. We'll move on to, uh, we've got loads of questions. Bloody hell. That we've only, that's only second question two. Data. Raw hide. How do you assess how far back to go with data that you're using? And how do you assess the limitations of the data you are collecting and using? Pretty simple, really. In terms of me, the current matrix, so I only use this season, 
last season's matrix is pointless. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And the sample size. I mean, we're working with, when you're working with tennis players, you, you're hundreds of matches. We're working with 30 matches on players. It's so, so tiny. And that is the limitation. The sample size. Yeah, massive limitation. That is the big thing at the minute. Some of the players, I mean, it's even, it's, it's 10 games, 10 to 15 Yeah, 30 games, games max. I mean, I, I don't include anyone under 10 games in any of my because he just can't get a, it was quite nice when Neymar had sort of crossed over that threshold and he could appear on the rankings finally this season. I have to agree, though. I, I don't go back to last season just because the, the matrix changed and it would just be silly to really. It wouldn't make any sense. That's the biggest fear, really, is the, is the matrix changing again vast. I know that's, that is an, it's a question further down, but the matrix changing would... Because you're almost having to start again. You might as well race or be stays pretty much if it changes a lot. <laughs> mm, it doesn't always work. I mean, I remember on the next game when they had the uh, bus scout when Teach, everyone thought he was going to be as good as he was. Like I think he was like 40 points more with this the, the new Matrix with Savane. And Savane, he hasn't yeah. done it. Yeah, I think that the Matrix change side of things could be interesting. I wonder if they do something at the end of the season. We do have a question about that in the second part of the show, so we'll keep that for then. But yeah, players moving clubs has always been an interesting one for me. They always seem to get overbought and then correct sharply if they do badly. I mean, we saw that with Savonier. And if they do well, they, they seem to rock it. I mean, you, you've seen Sensi, who's uh, kind of just been on an upward trajectory since he moved to Inter and won those PBs. So yeah, be interesting to see how the market reacts to future transfers, especially if there's any in January. Obviously, we are in, I keep forgetting that we're in January. Bloody hell. Weird to think that. We've got a question here from MixFI. Which league do you currently think is the most... Un- oh, he's got four questions as well. What do you think is the most undervalued and overvalued compared to its PB winning record? Kay Brown did a thread on this very recently, actually. So, to listeners, if you haven't seen it, go read it because it's very interesting. It's excellent, yeah. It's pretty set. He does some great research. That's right. The Prem won the most dividends in total. But I think from what he was saying, he was suggesting Syria may be quite undervalued because they won a lot of gold days. I'm not 100% sure. So, it's definitely worth reading that if you haven't. I think it was Serie A. Yeah, it was the yeah. undervalued. And Prem, in terms of PB, was the the most overvalued just because obviously the players are so much more, but then you have to factor MB into that, obviously. Yeah, I saw some funny discussions about that. Mm. Prem players, blah, blah, blah. But solely taking into account PB returns, and I was like, but you know, there's... Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Second <laughs> question. What are the three biggest team factors to consider when purchasing a PB player from said team? Again, Mr. Brown's on some great research on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you guys just going to continuously We're defer just to him? him? We're pumping him. <laughs> possession. I think was he did a thread that possession was one of the key things. Good teams, basically. Teams that win, possession, and also think about competition in terms of, let's just say, for example, Mbappe and Neymar. Mbappe's not going to win when Neymar's in the team. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's that. And the other example is Marino, my associate dad. He scores really well on my model, but Odegaard's playing and Odegaard's always going to win PB, really. I think fixture schedule is really important as well. I think people yeah. are look, starting to look at that a lot more. Strength of schedule is going to be massive. I think there's a yeah. great thread at the minute with the tables of fixtures that are on there, which is fantastic. Uh, I think it's Mars, is it? Yeah, Mars FI. It's such a huge, huge factor in terms of the near future, because especially with January, if you're looking at a team who's got really easy fixtures, Whilst the market's absolutely booming, those players are, are going to shoot up compared to, to a team who's, who's facing, I don't know, the top five teams in the next month or two. Definitely affect the value in the short term, for sure. 
but just playing in a good team, it sounds so obvious. <laughs> but the data's there. You know, it is. Because A, you're going to get more opportunities because you're more likely to play in Europe, which and you know, bigger dividends for that. And you're going to win more games. That win bonus, you know, can't be overlooked. And we saw it again with Wendy, didn't we, at the week? I think he would have got, or he, would have got very close with it if they'd won. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to defer to Moz, but he did do some stuff on that as well, didn't he? Which was pretty good. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I've saved them in my phone. They are fantastic. <laughs> I think I've I seen you fig tweet about the community in terms of how we're improving all the time. And one thing I do is follow quite a lot of FPL accounts because they are so far ahead of us as a community. But we, oh, are, yeah. we are catching. We are definitely catching Yeah, slowly. The FPL community is insane in terms of their data, obviously. Yeah. It's only for the Premiership, so... Well, they've also got sample sizes that are 10 times bigger exactly. than what we've got. Well, yeah. I have been saying that for about a year, though, that one day, if we get to 4 million users, I could see something quite similar. We'll take over. We'll take yeah, over. For we'll sure. be there. <laughs> if FPL Chef's listening, I'm not sure he'll be too happy about it. I mean, that, it's, it's FPL with, with potential to win money, so why would you not? <laughs> why would you not? Question three from MixFI. Is there any correlation between age and PB? I think you've you've answered this one already, Ben. What was the yeah. number? Twenty. So the the average is twenty six point nine, as in the age for winners. But the most common, which I think is more useful, the mode is twenty five. So that's the okay. most common age winning PB this season. Let's leave that one at that. Question four: If you could, what things would you tweak about the PB matrix? What do you think is over rewarded, and what do you think is under rewarded? I think game-winning goals for me. I think that's the only thing I don't like about the PB matrix. It, in, a, in a way, what it does is it randomises PB to an extent. FI have to do that, don't they? Yeah, I think that's the, that is the way that FI have to protect their own interests with that one because it does randomise it. Yeah. It can't be completely efficient. Otherwise, it'd just be, you know, I think I was, a PB man was talking to me today or he was saying today, you know, if they made the matrix reflect true football more, then how often would Trent Messi and Neymar win. Do you know what I mean? Would it be? Yeah, I guess that's that is definitely true. Yeah. To be honest, if I've you know I've got personal interest, but as long as they don't change it, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the, it's one of the things <laughs> where we know the rules. Let's play to the rules rather than you know. You could argue crossing. I think the stacking element maybe confuses people. I mean, the podcast you did with Buzzing Paul, I've listened to three or four times over you know over the last <laughs> twelve months, where he talked about the stacking element. I, mean, I do my own, um, you've know, seen the averages now from non-PB leagues. Man alive, that took me ages to work out that some <laughs> of the, the complexities of the matrix in terms of the stacking and, you know, passing, you know, it's very complicated. Yeah, I'd be more worried about a change in PB than concerned in wanting to change anything about PB, to be honest. Mm, interesting. I think maybe adding kind of like multi-goal stuff could be quite interesting. It'd be good to know what they've got available to them. It'd be good. They could just put out some tweet and say, right, listen, this is what Opta have got. We can take, you know, what they've got. What would you be interested in putting, you know, because we don't really know what do Opta have. Could you have forward passes? You know, you could put it out there and say, listen, Opta have got 5,000 data points, a ridiculous number. Which ones do you think would be interesting? They did a survey, didn't they, at the back end of last season that I think helped them craft the matrix that we've currently got. So... Maybe something similar again, like how's the matrix? Do you prefer it now than before? If most people say yes, then well done, FI. And then if there's other things that you can add? Yeah, I think crossing's the only thing that people, I mean, you, you know, obviously with Trent and uh, Kostic with his, you know, 500 crosses a game. <laughs> there's a few like that. 
I think crosses from set pieces for me are more of a, not nuisance, probably annoyance than in-game crosses. Yeah, no, I agree. I think when I load up Sofa score, the first thing I like to do is look at the little heat maps in the corner flags. <laughs> <laughs> so if I see that in a player that I've, you know, ranked well, I thought that is a big thing for me. So is, straight away I know. If you really, you know, look down on who scored some of the sort of hidden stats, you can see who takes free kicks, who takes court, and that is a big thing. Yeah. All right. Before we move on to the next question, just want to remind you guys that this podcast is sponsored by Index Game. They're a third-party data provider for Football Index. They are also partnered up with Opta, so they have some awesome stuff, an amazing community full of 5,000-plus members on Slack, and they also have their kind of premium service, which allows you to view PB averages, base scores. They've also got Opta-powered reports that you can filter for 30, 60, and 90-day windows, which is their latest one. But there is an amazing assortment of data on that website. And if you guys are interested in joining their premium service, then head over to indexgain.co.uk and you can use the code FIG2020 for 50% of your first month. I don't know how much you boys use it. We're considering all the data they use. Oh yeah, love Index Code. Whenever I recommend Football Index to any new users, the first thing I tell them is get Index Gain and get SofaScore and go from there. Same. Above the FI Guide handle. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then listen to FI Guide, of course. It is brilliant. The, the, the Slack community is it's a little less toxic than Twitter, little, little less. You know, it can be, you know, can be a little bit fraught at times, but the Slack community is very good. There's a lot of good info in there. The, the index gain itself, the stats on there. I mean, I, I like now they're, they're going to be excluding internationals from, from some of them. It's a fantastic resource. It really is. I, I couldn't speak more highly of it, put it that way. Well, that's a ringing endorsement. We've got a question here from EJ Fitty Index, and this was actually, I think, the, the most liked question, so this is going to be a big one. Do you think FI need to come out with their plans for the Euros sooner rather than later? The sweepstake for the 2018 World Cup was meh, in my opinion, and the Bronze Day equivalents during the group stages were a bit dull. Do you think Silver Group, Gold, Knockout Phases? It'd be nice to plan properly. So what do you guys think? Yeah, I agree with EJ in terms of the. that's what I had in mind, silver and gold, exactly like that. Just don't see why they wouldn't come out with it. Yeah, it's, it's such a good opportunity for them in terms of marketing. They could really expand hugely over, over summer because obviously when there's no games in summer, it can get a bit boring for traders and especially new traders. So it's definitely a, a huge opportunity for them. So the, the sooner they get it out, the better really. I would have thought, I don't know about you guys, when I buy a player now, I don't think, I mean, I know it seems like I won't be buying very many who don't feature in the Euros, put it that way. Oh, 100%. Always, yeah. It's just a good opportunity for them, really. So I'd be shocked if it doesn't come out in the next two or three months. I think by March we should see something, because I think there was a comment that was said that was really interesting underneath EJ's question, which was, if I was them, I'd probably do it in February after this big January boom yeah, to keep the momentum yeah. going, which I think is, is probably quite a good idea. That does make sense. Like Ben says, it's a huge opportunity for him. You know, every other year when you get a summer tournament, it's such a huge opportunity. It's, you know, silly to myself. I, I hope we get silver and gold. I hope. Is there anything else that you do, Ben? No, I think that's it, really. I think for them, it's about using it to market for more nets as much as possible. And in terms for, for the traders, yeah, I think I think silver and gold is a good idea, really. What should they do with IPDs? Mm, yeah. Uh, oh, they could double them. Double, just yeah. for us. double them for euros or something like that. I don't know. There could be some special offer. I was thinking about whether players who you hold already 
would be eligible for IPDs, but it would cost them a fortune. It was it was only a brief. I don't thought. think they can do that. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. They could maybe extend it. I don't know. Ruin them. Depending on what they do with IPDs, it could cause a bit of chaos in terms of peaks and drops for players. So, so they have to be careful with IPDs, definitely. I mean, the, the other thing that we need to factor in is that there is a chance that we might have order books by them, right? Yeah, that's true. I think that's a question lower down, yeah. It's a question for later on, isn't it? But that could be interesting, right? You know, some of these players might only have value because of the Euros. They might not even play in PB leagues. How are they going to get traded in an order book system when there might not be instant sell? Interesting to think about. Yeah, we might have to have a big IPO spree as well for mm. players who aren't. And that will be fun. <laughs> Always fun. Always fun. We've got a question here from FI Headhunter. Actually, just going back, to be honest, the thing that you guys talked about there in terms of planning ahead and anyone that you buy is going to be part of the Euros, it clearly is massive and important and EJ is correct. If you are building a portfolio that has a lot of money in it or a lot of players or a lot of futures, whichever way you look at it, it could be either of those things or none of those things, but a lot of traders I think that that was the main thing that came about with the last announcement, which was kind of like, we're going to review dividends every year. A lot of big traders that I talked to, they were like, well, the main worry is that we don't really know what sparks them to change dividends. We don't really know what their long-term plan is. Like when they introduced in-play dividends, it was like, oh, we want the short-term win. And then the latest announcement was like, well, we want to be the long-term platform of the future kind of thing. So I think if you're a large trader, I think you're probably more safe and, and a lot more uh, sound in your in your thoughts than you were maybe two or three years ago, but there is still that lingering kind of what is the long term plan kind of thing. Oh yeah, definitely the uncertainty is not good at all. I think there is little bits of uncertainty, but that's you know that's the product that's new, still developing. That's that's the way it goes. Oh, a hundred percent. When you've got something this kind of disruptive, there's always going to be that kind of side of things. Yeah, definitely. We've got a question here from Fi Headhunter. Actually, moving on now, he's always asking questions. When assessing a new buy, what's the first or single most data variable you look for? And how reliable is it predicting whether a buy will be successful or not? Peak score, very simple. Peak score. Scores over 200, basically. I actually did a poll today. I've not fully results about if you had player A, say they both played 20 games. Player A's scored 200 eight times, but only once has he scored over 250. Player B has scored 200 only four times, but twice have been over 250. Which player would you go for? I think I answered it with B, the, the two yeah. higher yeah. peak scores. And that's what I think, I don't know what Ben thinks, but yeah, peak score is the first I thing. I definitely agree. I think it'd be, the, it'd be the first thing, the thing that would attract me to a player the most. But I think you'd be stupid to only, but I'd play off that. Obviously, there's a lot of other variables to look at. But I think that's definitely the thing that draws the eye the most. I mean, like Nabry's huge score against Spurs wasn't it that was mental yeah I remember that I mean Cruz beat him doesn't he I'm not sure the the multiplier but still it's huge score and that's the kind of thing that really draws your eye to a player mm. peak scores then that's the rage yeah I think not so much for me I think averages can be used but you have to be careful because otherwise you end up with a portfolio of you know Marco Verratti's which nobody wants but you can use average <laughs> to a certain extent as well. Has anyone done breakdowns of kind of like a player's total yield and how many of them, how many of the, the dividends have been won over gold days, silver days and bronze days? Because that would be a good indicator as to how useful averages actually are. I think footy index scout do that. I don't know if anyone uses that here. 
this unit scout gives you a breakdown when you look at the players of how many of them were star man wins or positional wins. So that's really useful. But I haven't actually put it onto spreadsheet yet. Mm, that's something I use in my implied dividend. So in terms of obviously a score on a single day, it takes less to win than on a on a goal day. But we just don't have the sample size for it really to mean that much. You've got to extrapolate a lot and then you're you're probably speculating at that point, aren't you? Too much. A little bit, yeah. Bronze days, I don't really, but, you know, the, the community gets quite excited about bronze days, but I don't really have any interest in bronze days or little interest. I don't look, I know people like to look at the fixtures and look for bronze days. That's not, not for me at all. Yeah, it's disappointing how much you actually win on bronze day. <laughs> yeah, it's two goals, yeah. You might as well just do IPDs, to be honest. <laughs> I agree. We've got a question here from FI Momentum. Haaland to Dortmund this week for an absolute bargain price. How do they manage to do such great business in the current market where players are sold for extortionate amounts? And do you think players in the Dortmund team are currently under or overvalued on FI? It's interesting. I think the most interesting thing I saw about this transfer was the speculation on how other players would be affected. I don't know if you guys agree. It was interesting. Yeah, there was a lot of price movements from other... I mean, the Sancho rise was incredible. That was huge, yeah. I put a tweet about it. The gold rush, be the one selling shovels. <laughs> I couldn't believe the Sancho. That really took me by surprise. It came out of nowhere, really. It's just massive rise. I think there was just a lot of people predicting that, you know, to, to their credit, then the same day there were reports that United would leave the green light for Sancho to be mm. kind of purchased. So... I saw the logic more in that one than the kind of, oh, they'll probably cross it more now. So, Just in terms of the question, I mean, I know the, the, whilst you could argue it's a bargain, I think there's a little bit more to the transfer than meets the eye. Yeah, there is. I know there was 20 million banded about, but then there's also 10 to Mr. Super Agent and another 10 to... Uh, His dad. Roy Keane Slayer. <laughs> yeah, so, and I don't want to bash the, the lad, but, I'm, you know, scoring goals in the Austrian League, you know, I'm not interested in, to be quite honest with you. Well, he's, he's got a couple of chances in Champions League. Top scorer in the Champions League, isn't he? <laughs> not too bad either. <laughs> yeah, we got, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how, how much of a bargain it is. I'm not, I'm not sure. We'll soon find out. We'll see. He's going to have to not replicate his record for Dortmund, but come close to it, isn't he? Yeah. I don't know how Dortmund managed to get it so cheap. Yeah. I mean, their recruiting system is on point. I wish, wish it was the same at Arsenal. Yeah, I do. I mean, well, we got their chief scout and it didn't really work out well, did it? So... The recruitment in Germany seems very good. I mean, at Leipzig, who I, I really like watching, their recruitment's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. I mean, they've they've obviously got like two or three feeder clubs, though, don't they? Which oh, is, yeah. I don't know how I feel about those feeder clubs in general. It just, just seems a bit like weird. The whole it was Udinese and Watford used to do it quite a lot, like quite a while ago. Like, yeah, I was just a United fan because we did it very badly, but we did it with Antwerp. <laughs> I don't know if you remember back in the day. I remember <laughs> Ronnie Wall worked getting sent off red but in a referee playing for Antwerp and we did it but we just didn't do it very well because then City came in and did it with you know big clubs yeah, yeah. they're doing it with well they've got New York City obviously who's the Spanish club it's Girona isn't it yeah it, it was done originally to get around work permits when we signed yeah. Dong Fang Zhu from China and sent him to Antwerp that doesn't seem to be the thing anymore but that's what it was done for originally was to get around work permits they always find a way around work permits yeah if they need to don't they we've got a question here from Dino Sussithorus from Slack. Something like that. Something like that. I think it's Dion, I think. Dion Sussithorus. Fantastic work getting these two guys on, Fig. Uh, see? Oh, cheers. Speaking of good recruitment, he says, <laughs> two of the best Twitter accounts on the platform, in my opinion. How do you think order books will be implemented? How necessary will data analysis become 
Once they are, do you think traders will be more careful and diligent with who they buy once they are? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think people will be a bit more careful and they'll start looking at data and things like that even more. Just because, I, well, I guess it depends what they do with, with Quicksell, really. Uh, I don't know if they just remove it straight away or if they slowly remove Quicksell. I don't, I don't really know. What do you guys think? I expect it still be there because I think the FI is still going to have to seed the market to some extent where maybe the Intel will be somewhere in the middle. I don't know how they're going to do it because I don't think the liquidity is quite there. I mean, I, you know, from a Betfair background, I, this side of thing is, is really interesting in terms of liquidity. I really worry about market manipulation. But I'm sure they've, you know, they, they've looked at this. But I still think the intercell will be there to some degree, certainly at the beginning. I mean, I'll bet for you have, you know, your market seeders, so you go in early and you put your early prices up. And, you know, the people with, you know, big banks, that's what they do. Whether they'll look at doing something like that with, you know, some of the whales, I don't know. What's your gut telling you, though? How do you think that they'll implement it? And how do you think it will be best to be implemented? I think it'd be like that. You still have an IS, an instant sell, but you need to keep it simple. I think whether they have three prices, I mean, I'm, even now some people don't understand that there's a, a market sell, so yeah, that is, it's true. education as well that's key. I've seen quite a few people also worried about if they implement order books, would it scare away the, the smaller traders who don't really understand how to use them in a sense? If they do incorporate order books, it's really important that they provide a lot of information and support out there. I do get that, but there are exchanges, as we talked about earlier, you know, in Betfair that do yeah. tens of millions of pounds in one game, let alone in a whole exchange. So, and I know a lot of that is provided by kind of third parties and so on and so forth, but I don't, mm, yeah, I, I get your point. I think I've talked about it before on the podcast about having like kind of like a FI pro and an FI where the, you know, the, the price would still be dictated by an order book but it would just be in the back end, if that makes sense. And you could access that kind of like yeah. more thorough exchange if you wanted to. Again, with Betfair, you have the market depth. You can go on the, the basic Betfair website and it's all pretty simple. You download an API tool and you, and you open the ladders. I don't know if this means anything to you fellas, but you open the ladders up and you can see where every pound is in the market yeah. from the top to the bottom price. And this is where I think you uh, tweeted figure about things that will happen next year. And I said about price resistance points. I think, the market could get really analytical with candlesticks or pricing. I think we need more liquidity for that, though. Yeah, it, I, there I needs agree. to be way more liquidity oh, for that. Definitely. In game, it'd be interesting because you're going to start to see weight of money. That'd be really interesting in game. You know, it won't happen. You will need a lot more liquidity, but that that could start to become interesting. I talked about it quite a few times actually. But, you know what I was just talking about? What Smarkets did? They are obviously an exchange like Betfair. They're a competitor to Betfair. And they've got their exchange and then they released a, a sports book, right? Like a traditional sports book, but they're using the odds from their exchange. So if you downloaded Smarket Sportsbook, don't know what it's called, but you are just betting on odds that you see. They are, you know, underwritten by the exchange. You just don't know it. You could do something similar with, you know, FI, where you have what we currently see as the layout and then kind of like an FI pro version with the order books. And to the average user or someone who doesn't, really care about like the kind of inner depths of things that much then you know you're just seeing a buy price and a sell price it's the same as usual it's definitely a good idea if you want to my concern is market manipulation that some of the really lesser known players that if they've no there needs to be a buy and a sell price put up for every player that's realistic otherwise if people are putting up weird price and new people are going on think, oh that's the price i have to pay because that's the price that's there 
you know, that's where they're going to have to be careful because there's some unsavoury characters, let's just say, particularly on Twitter with the, the pumping that goes on. The good thing about that, it'll probably be easier to, to see what's going on. Like, you know, you could literally see if someone's going to, you know, you could see how much money is actually in the market. Yeah, I hope that that's keeping the market integrity. I hope FI are looking at things like, again, I don't want to talk about you know, people pumping on Twitter, but looking at that and looking at market patterns, I hope they are looking at doing things like that. I hope so too. It's, it's gotten better though. There's less kind of like, I think there was a period where there was very much kind of obvious ones of, you know, like players that had retired and stuff like that. So Yeah, they were great at the trend. Yeah. They've whacked the spreads up on a couple of those a couple of times. Yeah, I've seen the old 1p sell price. I, I like when they do that, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's kicking the teeth for the pumpers, <laughs> but probably deserved. Are you more excited by order books or, or concerned though, Ben? I definitely think I'm excited. I'm just looking forward to when they're actually going to start giving us this information. I think Adam Cole's Q&A recently was, was such a good idea. Everyone seemed very glad that he'd done that. I think that needs to happen a bit more often, maybe once monthly, something like that. I mean, obviously, he's, he's never obliged to tell us everything, but it just brings a bit more transparency. It also doesn't have to be a Q&A, does it? No, exactly, yeah. It can just be like a newsletter or a blog or, or video or whatever. Something to reduce this sort of uncertainty about the future. I think the more they give us a plan to an extent, the more helpful it will be and supportive it will be for the users. For sure. I think that order books, people, the, the one thing that people don't really talk about enough is how essential it is for their business model longer term. I mean, people talk about their kind of like their own portfolios, whether they're scared of like it and how it's going to affect their trading. But for FI as a business, this is like the biggest step that they're going to partake in since instant sale or since PB probably. They need to take themselves out of the market, if that makes sense. As it stands, they're a trader in, in their own market in a weird sort of way. Yeah. I mean, I suppose a lot of exchanges do have liquidity providers and that's what the aim is for FI. They want to become the liquidity provider to a lesser extent in the future because at the moment they are kind of the be all and end all of instant sell. Yeah, well, they take the risk, don't they? They, they take the 2%, but they take the risk. Yeah. You could maybe look at doing something like that where the instant sell, they take the 2% and the order book, they don't take the 2 maybe 1%. I don't know, something like that. I kind of always thought there is enough liquidity, but I am interested to see how it works in terms of the buy and sell orders. If they don't, like, does, does the money have to come out your cash balance? Is that going to leave people kind of spread thin quite a lot? What concerns me is, as well, is that I don't want it to become a fastest finger first market. So whether they would put on some sort of in-game delay, I don't know. Mm. That concerns me is the fastest finger first type thing. That goes on to, to the next question as well, I think, in terms of the IPOs. is They need to be careful that it doesn't replicate what's happening with the IPOs at the moment, which is yeah. fastest finger first. Yeah. Yeah, the question's from Mort's. How about now IPOs are so expensive, it's much harder to unearth a cheap gem and get a massive, massive rise. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, IPOs are just, oh, it's great for making a quick buck and things like that, but it's just, it's really not working, I think, at the moment. You're getting people who are making lots and lots of money because they've got bots or they're just spending the whole day searching a name. And then you're getting people who are getting massively stung. Some players are ridiculously overpriced. I think that definitely needs to be something that needs to be addressed maybe before order books. I think it's got to be in tandem with order books, doesn't it? Yeah. You'd think it'd be together. Like I said, if NAS, when the NASDAQ thing comes in, if that's all incorporated together, I think just in terms of the price, in terms of you know uh, hidden gems, 
obviously they are expensive, but you got to think of the market growth that we're hoping for. The top end gets stretched out. These probably, you still could see two hundred percent rises in these players. You can't IPO them at just twenty five p because the oh, money no, comes out the, the existing market. They lose a huge amount of money. It'd be interesting to know how what process takes place behind the scenes. I mean, the prices seem random, and the prices don't really mean anything that they get IPO'd anyway. But it'd be interesting to see what sort of research they do behind the scenes, and how do they come up with these prices? What would your process be, Hunter, if you were going <laughs> to price players on Football Index? If you were them? A very good question. I think you'd have to do, and I know people, this is one thing people do not like, so it's comparative pricing. You'd have to look at that, you'd have to. But then it's very difficult. You know, they should have the data, really. You should look at other players of a similar age, position. We talked about earlier how it's, it's hard for traders to value young players. So how do FI price Reyna that came out the other day, the Brazilian guy that we talked about earlier? Like, how do you, when there's so limited data, how do you price him? Very optimistically. There's youth scoring. They're going for the optimistic scenario. I think, I think people will follow that, really. In a way, they don't actually have to price him. The market prices them for them. It's only like a, a bookmaker when they put out their initial odds, they, they, they use the, what they call the sharp accounts where they will let winners bet on certain soft odds, if you like, at the, what they put at the beginning to get a, a sharper odd. It's slightly different though because their liability is then opened up till the rest of their career. I would say it's slightly different to that in, in a few cases. They probably do use, like PB Hunter said, the, the comparative aspect because someone like Reina, they'll be looking at Rodrigo and and the likes of him, and comparing his price to, to them, they obviously don't want to put it too low, that they, they lose a lot of money, but then again, they can't IPO him at £4, because Rodrigo's only £2.60. We don't know how many shares are produced, do we, in terms of, are they getting recycled? I, I don't know if that can make sense, how many are getting recycled? Yeah. What are FI's liability on some of these players? Or are these, you know, big batches being bought and then just resold into the market and then they go up and get recycled? Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that's that's the one other thing that I've got queries about from an order book standpoint. If it is a, a true order book, the issuance of bets and futures and stuff is interesting to me. Can there be two players the same price that have completely different amount of shares in the market in them? Uh, it seems a bit strange, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and if you can buy 300 max, all the change that I mean, there's so many questions we just don't know. Yeah, until they tell us. <laughs> until they tell us, lads. I think that's the, the last question that I'm going to ask. I don't know if there's any other things that you guys wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to today. I know we had loads of questions. I'm really sorry if if we didn't get to answer yours. Ben, anything else on your mind that you want to talk about? No, I think that's everything. Like I said, if there's any new users listening to this, keep listening to a, a Five Guards podcast, <laughs> download Index Gain and get Sofa Score and just try and learn as much as you can. Yeah, I agree. There's so much material out there now, probably more than you said when, when I started, that there's a lot of material, obviously there's Index Gain. I think I know it gets a lot of bad rep, but it's not the, the Facebook group, the, the Football Index Trader Facebook group, if you're a, new, you know, a newbie, there's enough information on there and they are, they're helpful on there. I've got to give them some credit there. It's not something I use a lot, but they are helpful. But I think Twitter, as long as you pick the bones out of certain things, don't read too much into There's one phrase at the minute that I can't stand, which is the tempi off peak. doesn't mean anything. Wait, what, what, what was that? When players are getting analysed, and the one phrase that gets used constantly is 20p off peak price. doesn't mean anything. It's irrelevant. Yeah, my thing at the moment is people confusing like good value and cheapness. Yeah, there's been some real good talk about that recently, to be fair. That's been very, very hot topic at the moment. I don't really understand it. It's, 
Yeah. I mean, for another podcast. One piece of advice, if, if you were, you know, because I think we've I've had a lot of new followers recently, probably a lot of new listeners. What would be one bit of advice if you were starting out right now, PB Hunter, apart from listen to the pods and download the service? Yeah, the food guide, obviously. Just take your time. Don't rush in. Start small. You can just chuck 100 quid in and start nice and small. Listen to people. Index gain. Look at the, not so much the patterns in the market, but understand the rules. Understand the rules. I'd say diversify as well. Yeah, massively. At the beginning anyway, until you know what you're doing, it's important to diversify so you understand what goes up, what goes down and why. That's actually been my bit of advice to new users quite recently, actually. They've been like, oh, who do I buy? And it's like, well, you know, you're going to figure out a strategy that suits you. If I just tell you who to buy, that's not really going to work. I don't tend to do that to people. I just kind of say, you know, buy a variety of players and see what suits you, your strategy. And- Depends how much time you've got. And like, so what you start, like I don't really do IPDs. It's not for me. I'm a long-term holder. You know, I, I will look at them, but it's not for me. Yeah, that's what we've got time for. Hunter, where can people find out more about you? I'm on Twitter, PBHunterFI, on an index game with the same name as well on Slack. I definitely recommend people get on, on both platforms. Awesome. Ben? Yep, yeah, I'm also on Twitter, at FIBenMan. That's it, really. I'm only interested. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps himself to one platform. Yeah, as I mentioned before, sorry if we didn't get to answer all your questions. If this is going to be your first commute of 2020, I'm sorry they're back. If you're not commuting, I hope it's a good start to your decade doing whatever you're doing, cleaning a toilet, doing some spreadsheets. Just to remind you guys as well, Football Index is a gambling platform. Only bet what you can afford to lose. And if you've just joined, welcome to all the fun. Stop when the when the fun stops, but lots of fun to come still. Th- there is lots of fun to come. Just the beginning, just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Cheers for listening, everyone. Have a great day. Bye.